just going to take this uh, time this morning to uh, focus together as a church, or rather to refocus, to refresh ourselves, um, to, to remind ourselves as a church what we're here to do, who we, who we are and what we're here to do. Um, this might be a very familiar passage to, to some of you if you've been hanging around church uh, for any length of time. Uh, often uh, you'll hear talks on this particular passage, um, especially if you've been tracking with us over the last few months as a church. And we've, we've spent quite a few months in the book of Acts earlier on in 2019, um, going through uh, the whole book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we've been learning how the early church responded to the gospel of Jesus. They knew it was true because so many people had uh, not only known Jesus during his lifetime uh, and and seen his ministry, but they knew it was true because many people had witnessed him the other side of death. He had been killed on a cross and died and put into uh, a grave. And yet many people, up to 500 at one time, saw the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus. And uh, because of the truth of that, that that, that, uh, absolutely revolutionized um, the faith, the understanding of um, the early believers in Jesus. And we saw as we went through the book of Acts, the, the early church is gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, community on mission. And so as we were going through the book of Acts together as a church, we, we thought to ourselves, well, that's not just uh, uh, related to the early church. Um, this is, this is, this is the, how it should be for every church up until now, as long as the church exists, um, which is forever, uh, is to be a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. Uh, that's, that's what we are. Uh, and so we took those three headings as the, the basic shape, the basic values of who we are as a church. And so what we're going to do today is focus uh, our minds again. If you're, if you're new here, this, this might be new information to you. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, hopefully this is a reminder or a refresher. But for all of us, I, I want you to know um, that, that when it comes to the church and, and our church, Foundation Church, um, we're not just thinking of the, the, the organisation, the structure. Yes, we want the organisation to be gospel-centred, spirit-empowered community on mission. But, but as we're going through, I want you to ask yourselves, uh, not just are we gospel-centred, spirit-empowered community on mission, but am I gospel-centred, spirit-empowered in community on mission? And, and, and when, you, when you think of that, and, and you think in those terms, I want you to, to consider this morning, am I growing in these three values? Am I, am I seeing more of that in my life? Or is it shrinking? Is it sort of getting cold? Am I running harder towards these things as we see revealed in Scripture? Or am I wandering away? Allow, please allow, uh, by the grace of God, please allow this to be a, a heart check this morning. Uh, give yourself this time. Be honest with yourself uh, as we go through. And, and, and let's take God's word seriously. So we're going to look at those three headings and try and explain what I mean by them and, um, and then how that will affect us as a church. So first of all, number one, as a church, you've heard it said before, we are gospel-centered. We are gospel-centered. Look down at verse 16 in Matthew 28. Now, it says the 11 disciples, don't forget, uh, Judas has betrayed Jesus. Judas has, has killed himself. He's gone. Okay, so there's 11 disciples, soon to be restored to 12. But the 11 of them went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, when we come often to our, our understanding of this passage and, and what we call uh, the Great Commission, um, we often go straight in, dive straight in at verse 18. But it's important for us to understand that as a church that's gospel-centered, we begin with worship. 
Um, here, here they are in Galilee. It says in verse uh, 16 uh, to a specific spot. And it says that Jesus uh, meets with his disciples. He's already arranged this before his death. He said, right, when, when, on the other side, I'll see you here at this particular place in Galilee. And so there they were. And he met with their disciples. And for the first time, uh, they saw him as a group with their own eyes. He reveals himself in the flesh to them. A real flesh and blood human being. Don't forget that the last time most of them had seen Jesus, he was being beaten. He was being interrogated in the high priest's house and then before Pilate. He was flogged and eventually crucified and they took his dead body down and put it in the grave. That was the last memory they had of Jesus. And yet here he is now, the first time they have seen him. And he's alive. He's alive. And not only that, according to Jesus, he wants to restore his friendship with them. He wants to tell them that we are, we are still good friends. You are still my best friends. Even though you've deserted me, I still want you. I still want to love you. And I still want to be uh, friends with you. And so it says they worshipped him. Yes, of course, some of them doubted. They, they just couldn't actually believe what they were seeing with their own eyes. But they worshipped him. So here we are on this mountain, which if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you'll know that very often God reveals himself to prophets and people from a mountain. Here is Jesus revealing himself on a mountain. And they adore him. They, they marvel in him. Right? They, they find him glorious, wonderful, majestic. Here he is. He's near to them and yet he is otherworldly. They knew him as their friend and yet they worshipped him as their God. And here's, here's perhaps one reason why they worshipped him with such force and intensity. They do that because it suddenly clicks. All that stuff that Jesus taught, all that he predicted, all that he demonstrated suddenly made sense. Because it's true, it came true. He really is the Christ. He really is the Son of God. He really is the one that he said he was. The gospel is true. And so they worship him right there on the mountain. In his classic book on mission, Pastor John Piper begins by saying this. He says, mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is, the ultim is ultimate, not mission, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. We as a church... Are gospel centered. We, just like the first witnesses here in verse 16, we are equally convicted that the gospel is true, that Jesus is alive, that the grave is empty. The kingdom is open to those who come to faith in Jesus and repent towards him. Everything boils down to the gospel in our estimation. This means for us as a church that the gospel, the good news, is not just for outsiders. 
It's not just for unbelievers. It's not just something that we tack on to a message about some other issue in the church. The gospel is not simply some, something that is found in little leaflets at the back of the church that we give to visitors on their way out. The gospel is all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the big story of the Bible and therefore as a church it is our big story. We cannot depart from that or, or, or figure out something more important than that. There is nothing more important than that. That is why folks here at Foundation Church, our, our teaching is gospel-centered. It puts Jesus, his person, who he is, and his work, what he's done, it puts that at the middle of everything. He is the hero of every message. He is the, the power behind every story. He is what... We talk about every time we come together as a church. According to the Apostle Paul, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. See, through Jesus and how he is presented and offered to us in the gospel, there is restoration of that relationship between God and humankind, between you and God. There is peace. Between you and God because of the gospel of Jesus. And therefore flowing from that peace with among you and other people. There is hope because of the gospel that this life is not all there is. That there is a greater one yet to come. And this applies to us as individuals. The gospel is true. This applies to our communities here in this country. The gospel is true. This applies to our city of Belfast. This applies to our world. The gospel is true. There is nothing more important for us to understand than this. This is why we are gospel-centered. We make a big deal of it. But not just in our teachings, not just a sermon thing. Our entire service as we get together and we worship God every Sunday morning, um, it's structured and, and, and uh, you know, rehearses the gospel. You might notice we, we, we sing songs that remind us of God at the start of our worship service, after he calls us to worship him, of course. And then in, in light of who God is and what he's done, we, we, we're aware of our sin and our need for God's grace. And so we confess our sin. And then we remind ourselves of the goodness of the gospel right, right after that. And we enjoy that through worship and song. And then we hear him instruct us and teach us through the scriptures and through the, 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 the explanation of the scriptures. And then we respond to him uh, through, 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 through sacrament and through going out to serve him out in the world. The entire service structure rehearses the gospel. Our songs are gospel-centered. Our pastoring is gospel-centered. The practical support that we offer and hold out is gospel-centered. It's all about the good news of Jesus. And I, for one, will give every ounce of my energy and my focus to continuing to lead Foundation Church in a way that is centred around the gospel. I will lead in a gospel-centred way. I will walk in a gospel-centred way. I will teach in a gospel-centred way. And we're never going to move aside from the gospel. As a church, we, we've got to learn to cherish Christ above all things. To fall at his feet in worship, just like the early disciples, to adore him, to glorify him. This is where it all begins, folks. There's loads of stuff we can be doing as a church. That is not in doubt. But it's got to start here. Worshipping, adoring Jesus, understanding him and seeing him for who he is and loving him for who he is. So let me ask you before we move on. Is he marvellous to you?
Is Jesus glorious in your eyes? Or are you just sort of over-familiar with him because you've heard about him from an early age and, and yet he doesn't really float your boat. There are more things in your life that you're passionate or excited or consumed by than Jesus. If he's not marvellous to you, if he's not glorious to you, then we must go no further this morning than to our knees. To pray earnestly for God to forgive our indifference to his son and to ask the Holy Spirit to remove the dullness from our hearts and the distractions from our vision of him to to fill us again with a pleasure for Christ to, to drive us in our heart and in our mind and our soul and our strength to seek after more of Jesus. Because the more you find him glorious, the more you will be driven, we will be driven to share him with the world outside. But it starts here. We are gospel-centered. Second thing, second value. We are spirit-empowered. We're spirit-empowered. Where does that come from in the text? You ask. Look down with me at the end of verse 20. Jesus said, after he sends out his disciples... Uh, We'll look at that in a minute. But he says to close, behold, look, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age, permanently, constantly there. I am with you. We see this time and again in scripture. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is God. He, He says this all the time to his people. But then what happens to Jesus days or even perhaps weeks after he says this to his disciples? He ascends, right? Luke, St. Luke, who wrote Luke and he wrote the book of Acts as well, begins his second volume, the book of Acts, Acts 1 verse 9. The disciples are together, again with Jesus, again on a mountain, perhaps even the same one, we're not sure. And it says that as they were looking on, this is the disciples, he, that is Jesus, was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus physically departed. He was gone. We've just confessed that in the Apostles' Creed. He ascended to heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus left. So how does he leave and yet he says, I am with you always to the end of the age? How can the two be the same? Because he's not with them. He's gone to heaven. Well, a few days after, uh, a few weeks after Jesus ascended to heaven, came the day of Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. But when you read Acts chapter 2, which is the account of Pentecost, the, the giving, the coming of the Holy Spirit, who, who, who's the one who pours it out? It is Jesus. He pours it out upon the church. It is his spirit upon the church. He is physically absent, but he is spiritually present. If he was physically present, he could only be present to a few people at any one time. Because he is spiritually present by the Holy Spirit, he can be present with all of us, all the time, to the end of the age. Can you see what I'm getting at? Jesus is present by the coming of his spirit. In fact, the scriptures call it the spirit, him, the spirit of Jesus. That is how 
His promise to be with us always to the end of the age is fulfilled. Through his spirit, filling, equipping, entering, empowering the church. That is how we are spirit empowered. Another clue in the text about why and how the church is spirit empowered. Jesus says, uh, before he goes, he says, um, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, And he says, verse 20, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is, teach them the gospel. Teach them my teaching. Teach them how to live in response to the gospel. Teach them how to be followers of me. And in order for them to do that, they need the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus says elsewhere in John 14, 6. He says, <clears throat> sorry, John 14, 26. He says, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give him. The Father will send him in my name. Listen, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything I've said to you. He will teach you all things. Class. And he will bring you remembrance of all that I have said to you. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who enables the church to teach all that Jesus commanded. As I said, we, uh, we looked through the book of Acts. We saw the escapades of the early church. And we saw, didn't we, together, week in, week out, how prominent and how active the Holy Spirit was among them. They truly were spirit-empowered. And when the church is spirit-empowered, as we saw in the book of Acts, it grows rapidly. Many people come to faith in Jesus Christ when a spirit-empowered church gets going. Great signs and wonders are done among them. Demonstrations of the kingdom of God. We asked ourselves, didn't we, time and again, was that just for the early church? Is there any sign within the the story of Acts or the scriptures as a whole that God expected all these things to fade away? Are, Are we today any less able to be filled with the Spirit? Are we any less able to live our lives in the Spirit as the Apostle Paul instructs? Are we any less called to be hungry, reliant, expectant, Of the presence of the Holy Spirit? No. We concluded time and again. No, no, no. There is no reason. There is no reason. Even being baptised in the name of the Holy Spirit, it says there, says that we are to give ourselves. Being baptised in the name of something or someone means that we are giving ourselves uh, to being owned by the name that we are baptised by. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Being owned by, submitting to, bearing the name of the Holy Spirit. So what is a spirit-empowered church? What does it look like? Well, a spirit-empowered church, I hope we're starting to see, is one that gives full recognition to the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is worthy of honour. He is worthy of praise. A spirit-empowered church is one that, that reads the scriptures to learn of the Spirit, how he operates, what he does. A Spirit-empowered church gives itself to asking, seeking and practising what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. Don't forget, it's the Holy Spirit that wrote the Bible in the first place through the apostles and prophets. You'd think he would know a thing or two about what he does and what he wants his church to do. And we see that in Scripture. A Spirit-empowered church uh, is one that asks, receives, and sees the ministry of the Holy Spirit among them. It sees the fruit of the Holy Spirit 
among its members. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's how you know you're in a spirit-empowered church. You see that taking place around you in the lives of other people. You see his gifts in a spirit-empowered church being poured out, teaching, leading, serving, generosity, prophecy, healing, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, etc., etc. A spirit-empowered church looks for these things, all these things, prays for these things to become a reality. It's important that we notice right now that these things, the fruits, the gifts, they're not ends in themselves. As if we're interested in looking real holy and being real spirit-filled and full of gifts. That's not an end to itself. The point of fruits is to glorify Jesus. The point of gifts is to glorify Jesus. That's the point. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. In other words, being a spirit-empowered church makes us more of a gospel-centered church. The two are connected. And the cool thing is we're already seeing this in Foundation Church, Belfast. If anyone here this morning is sitting here and has faith in Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit has worked in you. If anyone in Foundation Church sat here this morning is growing in Christ-likeness, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in you. If anyone in this last year has done something bold for Jesus that they've never done before, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in you. He gives faith. He makes you more generous. These things are happening in Foundation Church and that's because the Holy Spirit is among us. We are starting to see and experience prophetic or revelatory gifts being used, healings taking place. Do you remember we prayed for the pain in your face, that neuralgia you had? On a scale of 0 to 10, how much pain do you have right now? Zero. There you go. We are praying for God's Spirit to move among us at Foundation Church. And we're praying for more. And that's why we, uh, one of the reasons why we set up these prayer and worship nights that we have once a month to, to create time, to create space for us. We don't uh, always have on Sunday mornings uh, so that we can come, uh, we can listen to God, we can pray, we can worship. In fact, that happens uh, the first Wednesday of every month. We're going to do that this coming Wednesday. Um, what will that be, the 8th? Anyway, this Wednesday. Uh, we can do that at our house. Yeah, do that at our house this time. Um, so we will put the information out there. We'd love you to come join us. Um, prayer, worship, Enjoying God together. It's what we're doing. Look, I, I realise, folks, that um, some of this is less comfortable for you or, or less familiar to some, depending on your experience and your background. That's okay. And that's why in the year to come at Foundation Church, we're going to think more about what it looks like for us to be a spirit-empowered church. We're going to study the scriptures together to ask what does the Bible teach us about how we should be behaving and practicing. We're going to actually do a teaching series on the, the Holy Spirit. 
later on in the year. Going to resource you with, with books and, and, and materials to guide your thinking. We're going we're to draw on friends and the experience of trusted friends who have walked down this path before us. Um, we're going to continue to learn and practice what the Bible teaches us to do. Behold, Jesus said, I am with you always until the end of the age. The early church believed that promise and fireworks went off as the gospel advances. And so we pray today as a church, do it again, Lord. Do it again for your glory. By the way, I'm so thankful for uh, the advance movement of churches. We joined officially back in November, um, but we've been um, cultivating a relationship, friendship with other like-minded churches for the last year and a half or even two years. Um, Personally, uh, my connections and friendships with advance um, so far have just been a source of deep encouragement over the last two years. So I'm so thankful. And I just know as a church going forward, we're going to benefit immensely from this, uh, this movement that we are part of, this, this partnership. And we hold the same convictions about the gospel, about theology, about the operations of the spirit in the local church. And I'm, I'm just excited uh, and thrilled to, to think about what um, will lie ahead for us in partnership with Advance. Awesome. So we are a spirit-empowered church. Finally, thirdly. We are a community on mission. We are a community on mission. The two parts to that, as you can tell. First of all, we are a community. See, this great commission, this, this passage here in Matthew 28, uh, was spoken to a group of people, lest you forget. Not to an individual or even a collection of individuals. Yes, they were unique. Yes, they were apostles. But even the apostles went off not on their own, but they formed teams and they went round preaching the good news of Jesus in community as a team. But as, as we um, will hopefully see, uh, the great commission that Jesus gives to the apostles doesn't stop with the apostles uh, when they die, but it carries on to the next generation. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Jesus expects the, the proclamation of the gospel, the, the, the creation of disciples to carry on and on and on until he comes again. I'm going to be with you. So the church, the local community of the church is to be part of that grand move, that advance of the gospel in response and obedience to Jesus right here. And again, we see that all through the book of Acts. Um, Not just a mass of disconnected disciples or a bunch of lone wolves just going and doing their own thing. Instead, we see time and again that converts to Jesus Christ were formed into communities into groups where they shared in common their trust and their love for Jesus. They were, they were spiritually brothers and sisters. <clears throat> they lived out their lives in local church community. They worshipped together. They prayed together. They feasted together. They received instruction together. They sent out missionaries to go and kickstart new communities. They sent out finances to assist other Christian communities. It was a beautiful thing. Just a wonderful, powerful source of God's grace in incredibly difficult times. I've just been praying a few moments ago about the persecuted church in Iran and and the, the rapid spread of these house churches. The state does not want that to happen and yet no one can stop the gospel. And it was the same in the early church. We're seeing it again today in countries such as Iran. It's wonderful. It is beautiful. 
We read that not a needy person was among the early church. Source of great mercy and support. We, we read that favour from all the people was with them. As outsiders were attracted, we read that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were, they were growing. This gorgeous, Christ-centred, spirit-empowered community. But they were a community on mission. They were, they were certainly not stagnant or static. The early church were active. They were on mission. They, 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 they listened to the great commission passed on to them from the apostles in Matthew 28. And they, they took it to heart. They did it. They went about the job of making disciples. That's what it says in verse 19. Here's the big headline. <clears throat> Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The, the controlling verb in the Greek is make disciples. That's the thing. That's the headline. Go and make disciples of all nations. All, that, that is all peoples, all, all people groups, all tribes, all cultures. Go, go and make disciples of Jesus. Students, followers, worshippers of Jesus. Go and make them. These are people, of course, who are going to be map, mapped out, marked out by baptism. The start of their relationship with Jesus in verse 19. And they're going to be marked out by living in obedience to Jesus as they obey what he commanded in verse 20. Here's the thing. And this is something I really want to challenge you with this morning. We are a community on mission. Those two things are so closely related that I would go as far as saying this. The quality of our community is tied directly to the fruitfulness of our mission. The quality of our community is tied directly to the fruitfulness of our mission. The richness, the authenticity of our community, the more rich and authentic it is, the more we will be attractive to those on the outside, sticky to those on the outside, those we are called to reach, the more radically committed to Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit we are, the more disciple-making will happen. By the way, caution here. This is not a formula. If we work really, really hard on getting together all the time and having a really great time, that somehow naturally, therefore, we will be fruitful in the making of disciples. But there is clearly a link here. It is not linear, it is a general connection, and yet it is there. The quality of our community, insofar as it is gospel-centred and spirit-empowered, is tied to the fruitfulness of our mission, to the glory of God. And we have seen this already as a church. We saw it recently at our carol service, for example. That was a great example of community on mission. You pulled together, people. You served well. You invited your friends and your colleagues, whether they came or not. You were bold. You were welcoming to new guests. You were connecting with new people. This is evidence of community that is on mission. We're not just existing for ourselves and our own comfort and our pleasures. We are here for other people out there. And you did that so well at our carol service at the end of December. That's not to mention other similar events such as Watoto back in March, where over 200 people turned up for a little church like us. 
to come and, yes, see some African kids dancing and jumping and making much of Jesus, but they came and heard the gospel, which was proclaimed to them. You did that. Community on mission. We relaunched here in this new building, in this new area, back in March. You did that. That's community on mission. And many other ways since then, through foundation communities or our monthly FCB hangouts or even on our one-to-one uh, you know, connections and hookups and relationships, we are a community on mission. And we're seeing that developing and growing. Yes, God causes the growth. Okay, the, the scale of it and the numbers, that's down to God. He's sovereign, right? We can't force it. Can't force, you can't fake real community. But the genuine signs of community on mission are there and have been from the very start of this church. That's awesome. But this year, I and we together are believing for more community on mission. More added to our membership. More added to, to our, you know, more being baptised. By the way, if you, if you are not a member here and... and um, uh, you know, I would just love you to think about that as, as we come into this new year. Um, is Foundation Church going to be the place where you will put down your roots, your spiritual roots, where you will finally declare publicly, these are my people. They're here for me and I'm here for them. I'm going to serve them and they're going to serve me and together we're going to glorify Jesus. That's what membership is all about. If you're not a member here, love you uh, to think about that. I'd love to chat with you about that. Um, what that looks like. Likewise, if you're not baptised since you came to faith in Jesus, then, again, it's, it's here, right? It's here. Jesus says, be baptised. Love to talk you through with that as well and, and, um, and, and work out how we can go about baptising you in response to your faith in Jesus. But either way, as a church, we're going to later on in the year run a Life Explored or Alpha course Uh, so that we can connect with outsiders and introduce them to the faith and introduce them to our community of faith. Going to give you multiple opportunities as a church, on-ramps if you like, um, invitational events, tools for you to use to invite your unsaved friends and family, colleagues, neighbours to come and know Jesus. And we want to labour real hard this year with everything that God gives us to make that as easy and as slick um, for you as possible. We are a community on mission. So let me summarise as we come in to close. We are gospel-centred. We are spirit-empowered. And we are a community on mission. And we cannot have one of those three values without the other. If we understand it properly, if we read the scriptures clearly, it's all three. Each of those three values not only faithful to scripture, but balance and strengthen one another. And so we come together at the start of the year and we ask God, would you increase everything? Would you give us more humbly? More of Jesus this year, we ask. More of his spirit among us, we pray. More of his fruit growing in our lives, we, we hunger. This is our calling, folks. This is our commission from the Lord Jesus himself. I just want to end with the famous words from William Carey, the, the famous father of modern missions. He said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Let's pray.